Welcome to Career Revisionist with Dr. Grace Lee, dedicated to doers, dreamers, and realists who want more success and satisfaction in their life. This podcast is about answering one question. How can you build a fulfilling career where it's all about doing work you love and growing your income without sacrificing your values? And here's your host. She likes to eat the fish head and the eyeballs, Dr. Grace Lee. In this episode of Career Revisionist, I thought I would do something different. I am going to be having a guest on the show. And this guest, and this guest has been a very special leader of mine. I have been following her work. She's a Forbes colonist. She writes for Forbes and she writes beautifully. And I actually have been reading her work for quite a number of years. And this was before Career Revisionist. Before I started this show, this podcast, I was already reading her work. And so if you can imagine, then I started Career Revisionist. I started helping professionals and I thought to myself, hmm, one day I'd love to invite her to be on my show. So this is an interview, a conversation I'm having with Kathy Caprino. And Kathy Caprino, she's an internationally recognized career and executive coach. She's also a writer, a speaker, and a leadership training. And she is just completely dedicated to the advancement of women in business worldwide. And she herself, she's also just like me, come from a corporate background. She was a former, a former corporate vice president, and she trained as a marriage and family therapist And today she is a seasoned career success coach, a senior Forbes contributor, and her book, she's an author, her book is called Breakdown Breakthrough, right? So I talked to her about the book as well, and that was what what really inspired me to want to have her on the show, including her Forbes articles. And so when I talked to her, when I invited her to be on the show, she told me, well, she's in the process of writing a new book. So she's going to be releasing a new book called The Most Powerful You, Seven Bravery Boosting Paths to Career Bliss from HarperCollins Leadership. Right, so Kathy's core mission is really to support a finding brave global movement, to inspire and empower women to close their power gaps, to build their confidence, power and self-esteem and make the difference that they long to in the world. Right, and this, this term, finding brave, is something that Kathy had coined. And so we're going to talk about that in my conversation with her. What is finding brave and how, and what is the premise of breakdown, breakthrough? What does that mean? Right. And so this is going to be a very special conversation that I am having with Kathy. And she's also going to be sharing about her journey too, her journey through corporate life, her journey in her personal experiences, how she became a career and executive coach, how she became such a spokesperson for women all over the globe. So join me in welcoming Kathy Caprino. Hi, Kathy. And it's so lovely to talk to you to finally get a chance to have this conversation. You know, I've been looking forward to it for such a long time. So thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a guest on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm honored. I'm really thrilled. I can't wait to dive into everything career, right? That's right. That's right. And I know you're one of the leading voices on career development, on career growth, and also on executive growth as well. And I've been admiring your work in Forbes as well. You're a beautiful writer, Kathy. And so I was excited to hear the voice behind the words, you know, (laughs) the live voice. Woo. Thank you, my dear. Thank you. I do love it. And I love what you're doing in this space too. And wow, you were talking about some upcoming things you're doing that are so exciting and the wonderful people you know. It's a wonderful space to be in, isn't it, right now? It absolutely is. It's just a joy. 
Yeah, I love it. I love your message out there. And I wanted to dive into that. But before we do, you know, if you could share with my listeners, share with my viewers a little bit about your story. And I know that you came from the corporate background, like a lot of my viewers do. They're in corporate and you came from the corporate and you had it all. But you had what other people would perceive that, oh, wow, you have everything. And yet you were still miserable and you couldn't figure out why. And then something happened in your life, right? That changed it all. So if you can share with my audience, what, what, what happened? What, what is your journey to get oh. to that? You all right, to- here we go. Here we go. I do <laughs> love telling this story because it has a happy ending, but it's a little bumpy. Okay. Um, and, and I'm going to try to insert a, a few of those life lessons that I wish I had known through the journey. But you're right. I had an 18-year corporate career. And the crazy thing is we were talking before, I was an English major. I wanted to work at a big fiction publishing house in Manhattan. That was my dream out of college, to be an editor, because I didn't think I had the chops to be a writer. And I bailed on that dream, Grace, like two weeks out of, I went to the NYU Publishing Institute um, for a certificate. And I was like, whoa, this is the place. I love it. And then I, you know, sent out resumes back then. We didn't do the internet online, you know, stuff. And I got a job in marketing and publishing. And that was the beginning of an 18-year career in publishing, marketing, membership services, product development, and market research. And I will say, you know, there were bright moments there. I did love the market research piece, um, you know, tapping into audiences and what they liked and, and building strategy from that. But as I hit 40, Grace, I I had... 12 crises. I write about it in my book, Breakdown Breakthrough, but I didn't recognize what they were. But it was number one, chronic illness. I had an infection of the trachea every three months for four years. Mm -hmm. Sexual harassment, gender discrimination, zero work-life balance, um, toxic, now I know narcissistic. I had several narcissistic bosses, pure narcissistic personality disorder, which of course I didn't know what any of this was. I was just working, you know? And uh, really worse than all of that put together was I had little kids at the time. They're 22 and 25 now. Eh. But I would wake up every day and say, this meaningless work, this is what I'm going to be doing every day with my life. The problem was um, back then, and I still think that these problems are relevant today, um, I didn't know where to turn. I, you know, my family needed the money I was bringing in. My husband at the time was kind of a famous jazz percussionist, but, um, you know, there aren't compensation and benefits like a corporate job will give. And I thought of him as the creative one and me as the money bags. I'm the one that brings in the money. So I, I really, I couldn't figure it out. What am I going to do at 40, at age 40? What am I going to chuck all this? And I went to a career counselor and a therapist. And I knew I was in trouble when the career counselor, after $1,000 of assessment tests, said, well, it looks like you're in the right field, marketing. And I thought, what? You know, what am I going to do if he thinks this is the right field and I'm depressed and sick and miserable? So I did nothing. And one month after moving to a bigger home in a more affluent area, I was late. It was 9-11. And we had a travel division in that company that I worked for and that wiped us out. And I was laid off in this way that just shattered me beyond, beyond kind of recognition. Um, and I finally woke up. I'm, so the story is I'm in my therapist's office crying the week after. And you know when you have a pivotal conversation that changes everything? He said, 
I know this looks like the worst crisis you've ever faced. But from where I sit, it's the first moment you can choose who you want to be in this world. Now, who do you want to be? And I'm sure you see this, and I see this every day with clients. I had no idea. My mind went blank, but what I said was, I don't know, but I want to be you. Mm. And we laughed. And he said, okay, what a good coach. He's a therapist, but he was a good coach too. He said, what does that mean to you? And I said, I want to help people and not hurt people and be hurt. And from that one hour discussion, he said, you know, I've known you for two years. I think you'd probably make a great therapist. And I, pers- I went, oh, really? And I went home and pursued it. Short, long, long story, even longer. I became a therapist. I got a master's degree. But it doesn't end there. You know how we're talking about our visions and our values and our voices and they change over time. It was incredible life-changing that experience of becoming a therapist and training rape, incest, pedophilia, drug addiction, suicidality. But uh, I woke up to realizing it, I was coach training at the time and and I realized career coaching is really the sweet spot for me. But I think what's so fun for me now is I really do marry up those therapeutic and spiritual principles, but in the realm of what we do for a living career. How do I help someone be their highest, best self in the work that they do, which of course changes their life. So that's that story. That was long. (laughs) That was half the podcast. So was it, was it the, was it that pivotal conversation with that? Was it him? Him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That pivotal conversation with him that made you realize that careers was really where your heart lies with the vision for your, your path. No, at that time it was really, how do I, I think it was, you know, they talk about the wounded healer. I was so wounded that I wanted to understand how do we get these wounds I mean, that was kind of the vague idea. How do we get these wounds and how do we overcome them and heal them? So, you know, it was a three-year master's and then I launched a, co-launched a therapy practice. Um, but what I began to realize is in working with rape, incest, pedophilia, suicidality, drug addiction, attempted murder, I mean, <laughs> the darkest experiences of human life. Yeah. Um, what I would see is when people would come on my calendar, when I'd see their names and they were coming about career issues, and they were professional women, uh, my ears perked up. I I was more drawn to that. So it was really in the doing, in the living experience of being a therapist, Mm -hmm. that when people were coming with those issues, and then when I began to be a coach, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about, I can't speak up at work, Mm -hmm. I'm being mistreated, I hate what I do, Um, I have no time for my children. I was able to use those therapeutic skills and coaching skills and marry that all up. And that's when I knew I wanted to really focus on coaching, career that's coaching. Amazing. That's amazing. So what, what happened to those people who, when you were in the corporate world, I mean, you were very high level, I think like VP level, am I right? Yeah, VP, right? right. And people perceived that, wow, you had it all. Yeah. Right. So what, whatever happened to them, do they kind of look at you and say, why did you quit that corporate life? It was so awesome. Like how, well, that's a great question. And I'm sure you help your clients and, and people you work with face this. I was so shocked that when I started to admit to my corporate fa- friends, I, I'm, they all knew I had been laid off, but I'm not going back. I'm really reinventing. People would say things like, I'll, I'll never forget it. One lady in the grocery store said, why do you feel like you need to do that? 
they were, nobody responded well. I had one woman say, you're going to be broke and miserable and burnt out. What the heck's going on here? Why are people being so negative? But part of it I see is when you move away from a system that you've been entrenched in, you perturb that system. So there's so, that's a family, marriage and family therapy uh, principle, uh, systems, systems thinking. But, you know, it's like your system is a mobile. And when you move one piece of it, the whole thing moves. So all my friends were ensconced in corporate life and many of them were miserable. But the fact that I was going to leave it, really extricate, it perturbed people. So they were not, they didn't get it. Like, what are you, what are you talking about marriage and family therapy? But of course now, um, and it's funny, I want to share this with you. One reason, one of the many reasons I said it's time to leave corporate America was I had always kind of prided myself on being a good manager, being a really strong, good, supportive leader. And in this last job, I felt I wasn't. I felt I was getting kicked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, they say when a child's getting kicked, they'll turn around and kick the dog. You know, um, I felt like I, there was so much badness that I just couldn't hold it in my system. And it was leaking out in the way I was managing and leading. And so, you, you know, a lot of times I'm, I'm writing a new book for HarperCollins called The Most Powerful You. And um, one of the, it's about the seven damaging power gaps professional women face. And one of them is allowing the past to define you. And so for years, I internalized that I was a terrible manager and leader in that job, that two-year job. But then one woman um, just offered a LinkedIn recommendation. And it was some, it's still there, but it was something like, I didn't work in Kathy's department, but when I, you know, walked near her her, or spoke with her, she exuded an energy or a positivity, something like that, that I wanted to emulate. And I, it healed a myriad of wounds just reading that, that maybe I wasn't so terrible. Maybe I wasn't so toxic because I felt there was so much negativity coming at me. So there, there's been a lot of responses. Now, of course, when people see my Forbes stuff or something going viral, I'll hear from some of those people from 20 years ago. And they'll, they'll admit to me, I was going through it too. So it's, you know, it's all good. (laughs) Kathy, you know, one of the things that I love about you is that you are a product of your product, you know, and, and wait a minute, tell me what that means. Oh, it means that you, you have done what you advise people to do and you've gone through the experiences. You're not a third person trying to advise something that you've not experienced yourself. Right. You're right. One thing I love about you is that as a coach, and as an advisor and as a trained therapist, right, you are able to advise, you're able to coach and mentor on things that you've experienced firsthand yourself, right? Yeah. And you're the embodiment of what you were saying here in your book, you know, break down, break through. And I'm, I'm a huge fan, by the way. Thank you. And I'm, one thing I, I heard in your story right now is that you experienced what you described in the book as a crisis, right? Yeah, right. And from the crisis, you learned that, well, that's your breakdown moment. So Share with my audience, share with me um, what you meant, like title, you know, break down, break through. What does that title mean? And how, how did you come across and how did you, how did you vocalize that for yourself and for your, these are fantastically interesting questions. Thank you. So, you know, 
as writers, you know, language sometimes comes later, words come later. It's often the feeling. But as I was away from, years away from what had happened to me, and it took me years to get over it. I mean, I'm even writing about sexual harassment that happened and I deleted the smoking gun, the email that was proof. Um, and it gets in, you know, it it gets into your self-confidence, your self-esteem, your ability to speak up. Oh. And a lot of this is from my childhood. I didn't know how to really speak up and challenge my parents. But to answer your question, what was your question now? Um, oh, the breakdown to breakthrough. How did I kind of identify that and, yeah. it, you know, term it? What does it mean? You know, what does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. That language, crisis, I even say, I think in the book, most people don't use that language. That sounds really extreme, like, you know, something really bad's going to happen or someone's going to kill themselves. But what I noticed in becoming a therapist is we're often in crisis and we don't recognize it. We don't want to recognize it. And I'll make some generalizations here, but I don't want to paint all women with the same brush or all men with the same brush. Of course, we're all very different and individual, but there's a lot of universal truths. One of them, I think, is women are strong Mm -hmm. and women are warriors. And, you know, women who I I remember uh, being pregnant with my kids, I worked up to a day before my babies were born. Well, you know, that's hard physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So we're warriors. And I think in many ways, we don't recognize when we're having what I call a breakdown moment, which is life has slapped you across the face and pushed you to your knees. And when you recognize it, you say to yourself, I will not tolerate this one more minute. I cannot. That's the breakdown moment. But unfortunately, people don't embrace the signs early enough. They often wait to make any kind of change before they're on until they're on their knees. And that's why I love to talk about in everything I do, recognize the signs of malaise, of depression, of being stuck, of I just got off the phone with an amazing client who, and I'm suddenly working with very wealthy people, which is, is fun. They have different challenges, but no matter if they're making a million or 10,000, a lot of people don't believe they're deep down worthy enough to have a career that they love. And they'll 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 speak about it in a way that they don't even recognize that it, despite all that they've done and all that they've achieved, they don't really think they're worthy. Well, I want people to see these as breakdown signs because if you don't address this and do something, you will have a, a breakdown moment that will be, I can't live like this one more minute. And the, the breakthrough is that. Hang on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't do this, but I also feel that a component of the breakthrough is that you realize you have co-created the problem. And a lot of people get upset. Wait a minute, Kathy, you're blaming the victim. I don't see it that way at all. I see it that if something that I have done habitually, if there's a pattern that I keep co-creating or inviting in or allowing that keeps me suppressed, keeps me unhappy, makes me think I'm not worthy of a greater life job, then I can change that. So that's not blaming the victim to me. That's empowering the individual so they'll never be a victim again. That's breakthrough to me, I think. That's today, anyway. That's my definition today. Tomorrow, it might be a little different. <laughs> As I write this second book, good goodness, writing a book is something... Um, 
you know, you're sitting there trying to pour out everything you you want the world to know about something that you're sharing, and it makes you think differently. So I do think not becoming a victim any longer of your own thoughts or of mistreatment or of having a life that's less than you want. Yeah. That's a breakthrough moment. Amazing. I love it. I love that definition and this story and your journey and how you how you were able to articulate that so eloquently. Oh, thank I, you, you, did, you did say something that caught my attention. You said that you've been working with wealthy clients alike and, and, and not so wealthy clients alike yeah. and that they have something in common is that they feel that they're not worthy. Right. So that caught my attention. And so, I mean, this goes back to my background in neuroscience. And so I want to ask you, Kathy, what mm. is your experience on helping people to discover for themselves that they are worthy? Like mm. how, how, how do you go through the process of getting people to realize and for themselves that they are worthy of a career that they love? They are worthy of the wealth that they desire. It's, I know, it's such a deep, wonderful question. Um, I wish there were an easy answer, but I believe that it's many faceted, it's many pronged. So for some person, it was their childhood that they were taught, you're not smart enough, forget it. I mean, I've, I've had clients, clients, one client wanted to be a lawyer when she was seven and her parents said, over our dead body, you're not going to be a lawyer, they're cheats and slimy. But what it taught her was she shouldn't think for herself. So then there's a sense of worthiness. I'm not smart enough. I'm, I don't deserve this. Then there's shaming. You know, it, it happens in a million different ways. Uh, for women, the worthiness, I think, is impacted by our social training mm-hmm. that we need to be pleasing. We need to be malleable. We need to be account, um, accommodating. We um, shouldn't put ourselves first. So all of because, you know, what? You're, you're supposed to put your children first or your husband first. All of this affects our ability to see ourselves as a worthwhile individual who deserves to craft the life that they want because often it goes against social norms. You know, there's a lot of pushback, holy cow, a lot of pushback for women leaders. When I was in my neighborhood where I lived in Wilton, Connecticut, I, when we moved in, I was strolling my little baby at the time and a woman came up to me and she said, are you Kathy? I said, uh-huh. She said, I live right there and I'm a lawyer and we're the only working women on this street. Wow. And she hugged me and I was so floored, like what's happening here? One, I didn't know that and, and I don't know that I would have known that. I don't know why she kind of had counted, but what it showed was how alienated she felt, how isolated and how judged still, you know, women are judged in many ways. So there's that. But I do want to talk about, if I can, the heart of this book that's coming out um, is what I have found are the seven damaging power gaps that professionals face. And it all touches on worthiness or impacts worthiness. I do see, I've I've done a survey and I think it's about 600 people have taken it so far. 98% are having at least one of these gaps. And 75% are having three or more. <laughs> and the men are too, but I believe women internalize it different and process it differently from men. And my my sweet spot is working women, but I just want to say what they are quickly and then you can, you know, build on anything you're interested in. But um the first is they don't recognize their natural talents and gifts. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many women I have them complete a career path assessment 
they, when I say, what do you think your special talents and gifts are? How do you stand out? They leave it blank. And they're incredible. Um, every, every person on the planet is special and has special talents. They don't know. Number two, they communicate from fear, not strength. Mm-hmm. They, they don't know how to speak powerfully. They don't, you know, they're terribly afraid that they're going to sound like braggarts or that if they put something on LinkedIn, someone's going to say, she didn't do that. Oh, it just goes on and on. Number three, they don't know how to ask for what they deserve. They are so reluctant and so resistant. Number four is they isolate from influential support. There's a lot of research that men naturally know how to find sponsors, which are mentors, of course, but who have clout, who can open doors when you're not in the room. Women are not so good at this. Mm-hmm. And, and worthiness is a part of, a part of that issue. Mm-hmm. The fifth challenge, fifth issue is they acquiesce instead of saying stop to mistreatment. And that's sexual harassment, gender discrimination, narcissistic behavior. They don't stand up to it. And there are institutional reasons why, because we get punished when we stand up for it, but we can't let that stop us, right? Number six is I've lost sight of my thrilling dream for the future. And that one is the one that so many people say, that's my top problem. I knew what I wanted when I was 22. I lost it. I lost the dream. And the final one is um, letting the past define you, past trauma. So I believe that all of those power gaps impact our sense of worthiness, our sense of our self-actualization, all of that. Wow. Thank you for sharing. That's really deeply insightful. I'm sure we can do a multiple hour episode on that. (laughs) Definitely. I do have one question. and I know that it's a really popular subject where people talk about the differences between men and women. Right? Mm-hmm. So I guess my, my question for you, you know, as a therapist and as a woman who empowers other women, what have you found in your research and in working with your clients? What have you found to be the one big domino for the difference between men and women that if they knocked down that domino or if they addressed it or managed it, that it would knock down other dominoes as well and they could achieve the things they desire for their life and their career? Oh, that's big. That's big. I thought you were going, I'm going to go at that question in two ways. I I thought you were going to ask, what's the biggest difference that I see between men and women? And I I think I would say this. Um, I think the cultural training that so far women have gotten um, numbs them to their own power and their own importance. I don't see that in the male clients I have. They may be miserable. They may have a lack of confidence because of what's happened to them. They may not understand their gifts, but there's not the same degree of inability to act as your own agent of change and of growth. Not inability, resistance, reluctance, fear. So that to me is the biggest difference. And I know people are going to push back. And of course, uh, we all know amazing women that defy what I just said. And we know amazing men too um, that do. But I would say that what I see in women is, uh, and why they come to me and what I, the work I do with them builds up is bravery and and power. But um, are you asking what's the one thing they could change that that might help them achieve what they want? The big uh, domino, you know, the, the one big domino. Question. If they could change it or manage it, yeah. The belief, hmm, 
no one's ever asked it to me in this way, but I think that what I would say is this, the belief that you actually can have the life that you dream of. It's massive. People don't believe they can. They, they say, I don't have the money for it. I'm not smart enough. A million reasons. And I said it. You know, I wanted later, if I could, to go back to what you said, that I'm the product of my product. Um, I really believe that when you're searching for a coach or a helper, it's wonderful to go to someone who's lived what you have lived and overcome it in the way you want to overcome it. And, you know, a lot of coach training programs don't agree, and I'm not popular with them because they say you can coach anything. And I say, bull, I don't think you can coach anything. You know, when I I won this award, Make Mine a Million Dollar Business, I won it in Connecticut years ago, and they gave you free coaching. I tried three different coaches, and I was like, what I want to know is how to go to 50000 a year in revenue to a million. Nobody could tell me. Nobody could coach me because they hadn't done it. Don't go to a, to a coach that has never done the thing you want to do. That makes no sense to me. But um, going back to this problem, this domino, I didn't believe in my heart for a lot of reasons that I could make an impact, that I could have, uh, uh, that I had ideas, that I could be creative. I didn't believe that I had it in me. And that's what I see. And I don't see that in men as much. And, you know, oh, there's so much research about that I have a problem with, that men and women's brains are not that different. They're different enough. <laughs> They're different. The, uh, neurobi- you're, are you a neurobiologist? Neuroscientist. So you, I'd love to hear from you. Next, I got to have you on my podcast and ask you the questions. I feel like even the differences in hormones make us a different species completely. I mean, take a look at, I have a boy and a girl child. Holy cow. I mean, the testosterone in the boy, it's a completely different existence. It's not at all the same. And it, it does bother me when people say we're not different. And I, I think that some of people are saying that because they want to mitigate the biases. Like if we say, oh, you're so different from me, we're going to have biases and, and projections. But I think it does us both a disservice for us to say men and women are so similar that we're not even different. It's just not accurate. It's not accurate. What do you think? I'd like to know what you think on this. (laughs) One thing you mentioned, and you mentioned a term was cultural training, right? That women go through this cultural training. So unpack that for us a little bit what you mean by cultural training and what is this training that women are receiving or are men and women receiving the same training, but women are just internalizing it differently. Yeah. And so I'm not a a total expert on this, but in the research I've read, um, number one, I'm not imagining it. Number two, we're the world isn't imagining it. The research studies have shown that for instance, girls and boys lead in the same way up to about age 13. They believe in themselves as leaders. They see their abilities in math and science. They think they're capable of being an astronaut equally. Something about when girls become teens, around 13, they go underground. They don't raise their hand as much. They don't believe in themselves as much. They don't, um, you know, they don't come forward as much. They also become quite... (laughs) Um, absorbed in body image, the perception of them. That is not what boys are going through. That is not what's happening with men. So there's 
you know, they even there's been research that you look at why are so few women in STEM. There's research that even the teachers have a bias. That's right. I just want to define for my audience. I'm sorry. I define STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. Sorry. Go ahead. Continue. Thank you. Yeah. So everyone's, we're all biased. Oh, and I love those discussions. I don't have a bias. You, you can't live and not have a bias. The brain has biases as filters for experience, right? But, um, I think that what happens is, and it certainly depends on your family and your culture. You know, I have to tell you, I work with Asian women. Asian women, Indian women, a lot of them tell me, what you're talking about, Kathy, I can't even do. I can't speak up to my parents. I can't, I can't assert myself for what I want because I was trained culturally that that is not what I am to do. And, you know, we talked for a second there, being Greek and Italian, this is a really cool question um, that I, I would love to throw in. Have you ever seen Tony Robbins' documentary, I Am Not Your Guru? I have, yes. I've seen that. There was one thing that I I loved it, but he asked of the audience, who did you crave love most from as a child and who did you have to be to get it? And immediately I knew obedient from my mother, brilliant from my father. And I talk about in the book, if dad's passed away, my beloved dad, but if I asked him, did I have to be brilliant for you to love me? He'd say, that's ridiculous, but it's the message I got. It doesn't matter if he consciously didn't mean it. It's the message. And same with mom. She goes, yeah, I could see how you would actually think that because she needed obedience. So what we got in our childhood from our families about what is a woman, what is feminine? Oh, there's another thing. Everyone, I want you to check out Terry Real. He's a famous best-selling author and couples therapist, and he's an expert on patriarchy. And he talks about patriarchy being the water we all swim in. And so we have internalized what patriarchy says, which is men, masculine, are strong, invulnerable, unemotional. You know, they get things done, productive. Feminine, vulnerable, emotional, caring, compassionate, malleable. And we split ourselves down the middle, both men and women. So when you're living in a patriarchal world, you are getting culturally trained every minute. I remember there was a time in fifth grade Um, the teacher was talking about how she didn't like how the boys and girls were acting out on the playground. And I raised my hand and said something challenging, something like, you know, I was 10. So what do I remember of it? But something like, I don't really agree that we should behave the way you're saying. I have got boys who are friends and I, you know, I said something like this and I swear to you that, that the class clapped and they clapped me on the back after. And wouldn't you know, she called up my mother. Turns out they were cousins, my mother and this woman, it's distant cousins, but she came to visit our house. And I overheard her saying, Kathy was disrespectful. Oh. And I guarantee you, a 10-year-old boy would not have been called disrespectful for saying that. Mm-hmm. Maybe boys will be boys. He acted up a little bit. So we get these cultural messages slapped down. Be quiet. Mm-hmm. Be good. You're too, I mean, all of us who've ever done anything assertive and been called a biatch, yeah. I don't know if your podcast is explicit, I've been called a biatch mm-hmm. for the very same thing my male counterpart was doing and he was getting praised for it. Yeah. This is one of a million examples of cultural training, mm-hmm. society and cultural training. Mm-hmm. 
So where do you feel we are going in terms of the future of our, our society, of our culture? And of course, I mean, every, every culture around the world in different countries are going to be progressing differently and they have different ingrained belief systems. But from what you've seen, like we're, we're both based in North America, from what you've seen and from the people you've talked to and your own optimism, where do you feel that we're going? Because there's a lot of people rising up and standing up for that type of treatment of quality, for that type of respect, men and women, you know, and that awareness, right? There's a lot more awareness than in the past about issues like that. So where, where do you feel that we're trending towards? Are you optimistic or are you not so optimistic? Like, what are your predictions? All right. So here's the deal. I, I don't want to get political here, but I think it's fact that uh, leadership in the U.S., and of course that impacts the whole world, has done something. Um, and I'm just going to say my view. I believe our leadership today has unleashed... Um, a, a backlash against women. I do. I really do. So I want to share this with you. I I am a feminist, but to me, feminist means I believe in equality. That's what it means. And women have been dis- discriminated against for so long and suppressed that that's why we call ourselves feminists. But it doesn't mean women over men. It means equal, equal opportunity, equal pay, equal rights. Um, I wrote a post on why. What is feminism and why do so many men and women still hate it? And it was as measured as I I could make it. I let my Forbes producer read it. She goes, go for it. Then I did a video. It was very measured. It wasn't bashing anybody. I cannot tell you the scary, vitriolic hate that I got from this. Two men wrote, for instance, shut up, you dumb C word. It was so bad, I cried. And I'm not used to posting on YouTube. I, I'm in more controlled environments like Forbes and LinkedIn. And even my daughter, she was 22 at the time, went, Mom, what are you putting it on YouTube for? Don't you know that it's totally uncontrolled? And so I, it was sickening to me. And it wasn't just men. It was, it was murderous hate. I'm not joking you. So when one says to me, are you optimistic? This, this is what I say when I pull the, the viewfinder out. History has ebbs and flows. History repeats itself. History, you know, we're going to have liberal times. We're going to have conservative times. Mm-hmm. I believe that we're in a time that has uncorked hatred. So if you look at the Me Too movement, you know, I'm one who's been sexually harassed and I had a gag order. Yeah. I got a settlement. Not about the sexual harassment, but of something else, mm-hmm. which I'm hoping to write about in my book. And I had a gag order all these years, 20 years. I haven't spoken publicly really about getting a settlement. Um, but I've lived what, not to the degree many of these women have, but I've lived what it is to legitimately be in the Me Too movement. I'm all for it. Has it does it go overboard sometimes? Maybe. Does it mean that some women can accuse a man without proof? And without fact, maybe, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that overall it's, it's a thing we needed. We needed women to be able to come together and say that which was unspeakable. And we needed them to be heard. But there's backlash to that. I see it. I see it in the underbelly of what's being written. Um, 
God, there's, there's websites that are just so hateful and so scary. So um, right now, I'm not optimistic. I'm sad. But history moves on. We won't be in this phase forever. We won't be in this. I mean, people are hateful to each other. And Brene Brown, who is, uh, I, I adore her work. She said um, at the National Cathedral spoke, talk she gave that it's like we're hiding in bunkers with the people that hate the same people we hate. That's where we are today. And it saddens and sickens me. Um, but I have hope. I have hope in humanity. I have hope in the spiritual aspect of humanity. I have hope that we will find our higher self. I have hope that we will see our differences and embrace them and love them. I mean, you know, anyone who thinks I'm bashing men, you don't have it right. I respect some of my best sponsors and mentors and advisors have been men. You know, there's much to emulate. What I don't want is that people think women should become men or become more like men. When I'm talking about speaking up for yourself, it doesn't mean become like a man. Yes. It's do it your own way. Yeah. So I believe in humanity. I'm just saddened to be in this phase. Yeah. I'm surprised. I'm shocked. I'm just demoralized. Yeah. But I won't stop having hope. Yes, and hope is the greatest thing, right? If you lose that, what's yeah. left? Hope is the hope and belief is are the greatest thing. And trust. You know, I see that with my clients. Sometimes all I can give them is that I see more of them than they see of themselves. Mm -hmm. And they believe me when I say, you know that you can do whatever you want here, right? You know that. They're like, oh. but I think that they think if Kathy says it, it has to be true. And so sometimes all we have is that someone believes in me. I mean, that as coaches, I, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was saying, I was saying that, yeah, as coaches, we have such a responsibility to believe in other people. And sometimes it just takes one person believing in you and then that just like clicks. And then you just have the fortitude to carry through. It's really true. And I learned this as a therapist working with parents, you'll cripple your child. If you internally think they don't have what it takes, but you're saying, you can do it, honey, you can do it. You can get that job. You can get on the soccer team, but internally, or you can be a trustworthy person, but internally you don't think they are. That It's all energy. That's that's what we feel. So, you know, if if you want to be someone who uplifts people, find it in your heart to believe in that person to even though you're skeptical even though you think i don't know they don't mean i may not have what it takes they may not be smart enough get over it get over yourself believe in them because that i think is what unleashes the power and the worthiness and yes absolutely i love holding up a mirror a beautiful mirror for them absolutely i love what you said so tell us help us out a little bit what can someone do, man or woman? What can someone do mm-hmm. if they do encounter that type of disrespect in the boardroom, in the workplace? What can they do to ensure that it doesn't perpetuate, but more importantly, that it doesn't cause inside of them any limiting beliefs that are proliferating? Yeah. Well, you know, I am talking about that in in, in the chapter, um, you know, allowing mis- acquiescing instead of saying no to mistreatment. There isn't a one-size-fits-all 
response to this. So let's say you're being discriminated against. You know, I've written a lot about narcissism. Now, unfortunately, I know about narcissistic personality disorder. If you're dealing with, for instance, a boss who's a true narcissist, you will not win challenging them directly. The, another thing to know is HR is not your friend. They're not your friend. They're a department, they're a group of individuals, an assembly of individuals who've been hired to do a role, and often it's to protect the organization. Yeah. They may be good people, they may want, I'm not painting every HR person, you know, but that's not their job to support every claim and every, it's, it tends not to be their job. So what we have to do when we're, in, let's say at work, on the receiving end of discrimination is you are too close to it to see it for what it is, and you need help. Um, I, I interviewed Tom Spiegel, who's a former federal prosecutor, who now in Washington and now supports women who've been wrongly f- fired mm-hmm. and mistreated. He says, and I believe him, I agree with him, go to a lawyer. If it's, if it's egregious, go visit a lawyer. doesn't mean you're going to sue your company. People are like, oh, I can't sue. No, forget it. You're just going to have a conversation with a lawyer. This is what is happening to me, and I need an outside perspective. And they're going to give it to you, you know, and it may be, you know, in your state, you can record your boss without your boss knowing. There are ways you can protect yourself. But if it's egregious, get outside help, not HR, and don't confront the boss Mm -hmm. if it's egregious. And if you think there's narcissism and you can reach out to me, I can give you my six-part webinar series on dealing with narcissism. Um, if, if it's not egregious, but you feel you are not valued and you think your boss can hear that and your boss is on your side, then you want to speak up. But you don't just want to go in there whining. You want a case. Uh, you want what's really happening and you want to and present it in the most unemotional way possible. You know, we've all cried at work, many of us, and it's never usually a good thing. Never usually that. Those are... Mutually exclusive. It's it's usually not a good thing. So you don't want to be in there crying that, you know, um, you're not treating me the way I deserve to be treated. You want to come in unemotionally with a case. Um, but, but there are a million other tactics that are right for the particular situation. If you do feel you can't make headway with the boss, but HR has been an effective advocate, you can make a complaint, but know that that's going to that's gonna set a ball rolling. Don't do this blindly. I really love the idea of getting an outside advisor because they're not ensconced in the ecosystem. They're not trying to keep the ecosystem the same. They have no vested. That's what I would do. Get help. Where you don't have power, go get it from someone who can help you get it. What do you think? Grace. That's amazing. I, I resonate with that. I really do resonate with that. And I've been in a situation very similar and I did have to take it to court. But fortunately, at that time, that position was unionized. But there was a court case around it as well. So I was protected. Wow. But, you know, sometimes, wow. yeah, sometimes you just have found to- brave and you did it. And it's these are not it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. It's very scary. Yeah, Wait, you know, when I when I go to talk about what happened to me in my that job, it, it's almost twenty years ago. I still it brings up fear for me. Yeah, but I think as you live too, we have to do what we're advising our colleagues, clients, customers to do. That's right. I can't talk about finding brave and not be f- finding brave. You know that'd be ridiculous. <laughs> 
That would be really bad. (laughs) So tell me, Kathy, dream with me a little bit here. Yeah, I like it. In the future, Mm. future, you know, if it was in an ideal world, what would that look like for you? You know, ideal world in the workplace. What would that look like for you? You know, somebody asked me, who is it? Um, Dov Barron, who I interviewed on my podcast, Finding Brave, he said, I'm going to, and, and, and he has this string of questions sequenced perfectly and it got to that, but he said, what's the one thing you dream would be different? Yeah. And it, and I got choked up and I answered, I get choked up saying it, that everyone can be who they authentically want to be in the world. And they have that power and that confidence, confidence and that positive impact. You know, of course, when I say this, I, I am thinking of the positive side. I'm not thinking of, um, yeah, I could do whatever I want to hurt other people because I think that, yes, there's mental illness and yes, there's, um, you know, situations that make us behave in ways we wouldn't. But I believe that in general, the human spirit goes to the positive when we've not been shamed and shunned and hurt and abused and mistreated and, you know, sexually, you know, mistreated. I think the human spirit goes to wanting to be helpful. You know, I just watched a documentary on Woodstock. 500,000 people came and I think it was just two deaths. One was a, you know, an overdose, and, but it was peaceful and it was so many people helping other people. I mean, this is a, a crazy, wonderful example, but there were even tents where people could go when they were tripping and they could get support, you know, acid trips and people would sit with them for two hours. You're going to get through this. It's okay. And then when they came out of it, this part makes me cry. The helper would say, See that guy coming into the tent? That was you two hours ago. Can you stay here and help him? I just cry over that. I don't know why. But watch this documentary, folks. It's on Netflix about Woodstock. But for 500,000 people to come together and be together and love in the way they wanted to love and you know whatever they wanted to do, but do it peacefully, do it respectfully, I think that is a beautiful vision. I mean, not that we need to recreate Woodstock, but in our hearts to do what we want to do with love and peace and impact and love each other for our differences. I mean, well, God, that would be heaven on earth, wouldn't it? For me, that would be heaven on earth. And I think why I choke up with it is because for so long, I felt like I couldn't be who I am. Amazing. Wow. So sh- I want to know what you think. What, what, I don't want this to be one-sided. What's your dream? You want to come on my podcast and answer the same questions for me? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'll answer the same question on yours. That would be your, what, what would your dream be? I can't make this one-sided. I'd love to hear. <laughs> so I'm like, for me, my vision, my world vision is career revisioning. You know, my, my movement is called career revisionist. Right. So it's like empowerment. It's like where professionals feel and they know they are empowered to create their future. And they know that they are the creators of their own destiny. Oh, right? And so in a nutshell, I mean, that for me is my definition of think that's you know, a beautiful future, one that everyone can survive and thrive. And I yeah. think yours and mine go really nicely together. I think in my world, yours would be possible. In your world, mine would be possible. I, you know, what, what I see is there's depression, s- substance abuse, uh, drug addiction, 
violence because we are not allowed to live the life that our heart and our soul wants us to live. Right. I think that's what's going on. I do. So tell me one, just tell, tell my listeners, my viewers, just one piece of advice, one thing mm-hmm. that, that you did to achieve that for yourself in your life. The biggest, the most important thing or the key thing that you did to achieve that for yourself in your life. So I, I think there's so many, but I would, I would give you this. You know, uh, that, w- the one moment that was most pivotal was that conversation where he said, who do you want to be? And it was, it was an unlocking, I mean, it's such a simple five-word sentence, five, yeah, five-word sentence. But I would ask you, you know, what is your version of heaven on earth? And that's another podcast interview I did with Martin Rutt. But if you really could have the life and the career that you dreamed of, and I know that for many people, they don't know what that is. I get that. But if you could, what would change? What would you let go of today? What would you let go of? And then I would say, all of what you and I are talking about comes from micro steps. It's from tiny little, it's a conversation. It's looking at something online. It's saying, could I be a therapist? And looking at the curriculum. It usually isn't these grandiose moves. It's the micro, brave micro steps every day to honor that you want some form of a change. And everyone can do that. So when you're thinking of a career revision, when you're thinking of chucking it or pivoting or starting a business or becoming a consultant, truly it's not so far away from you as you are dreaming and fantasizing it is. But you have to, number one, be brave enough to say, I'm worthy of that life. I'm worthy of a beautiful life. If you can say that and then take one micro step a day, your life will change. And can I talk spirituality for a minute? Yeah, of course. I really, whatever you believe in, whether it's God, the universe, nothing, I really do see that when you get out of the gate and start doing what I just said, the universe meets you halfway. I mean, miraculously. I can't tell you. I mean, I, it's countless times with my clients. They're like, oh, I'm not bringing my A game. I don't even know how to talk about myself. I'm like, I get it. I know. But that's my job to help you, you know, see that you're bringing the A game literally the next day after the session they hear about a job that they're perfect for, or they get the raise, or this weird shift happens at work and they get that promotion. The universe has to, will meet you halfway, but you've got to get out of the gate. It isn't going to happen. And, and, you know, I wrote a thing about, and if you have links, I'll share it with you, the absolute worst thing to do when you're stuck in your career. And what that is, is to to stay stuck thinking that you have to have it all figured out before you make a change. You don't have to have a damn thing figured out. You just have to know that you want something different and start speaking and doing something to honor that. If you do that, your life is going to change. I think honest with yourself, you know, being honest with yourself. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and honoring yourself enough to say, I deserve Mm -hmm. joy and happiness and impact Mm -hmm. and power. And embrace your power. You know, a lot of women say, I don't want power. I said, why? Why don't you want power? Because power is abused. Oh, people, sure, it's abused, but power in and of itself is not abusive. So don't shun it because that's the second piece. You need power to have the life that you want. Any life that you dream of, you need power for that. Not power over people, 
power to bring about what you want. Amazing. That's amazing. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for all your, your, your insights and your experience that we can hear in your voice. Really appreciate having you. Kathy, if you could tell us, where can folks find you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. What fantastic questions. Um, the easiest place is kathycaprino.com, right? And I don't know, Grace, when this comes out, but um, I do have a course, The Amazing Career Project. That's 16 weeks. I'm with you every week when there's video training and it, the enrollment is open now. The course starts October 7th. So I don't know if we're too late when this releases. It's an amazing course, only 40 people a session. And I love, it's transformative. Findingbrave.org is my podcast. And of course, you can find me on Forbes. I'll give you that link, but you can look at for, you know, Google search Forbes Caprino, you'll find it. And there it is. Those are my sites. And do sign up at kathycaprino.com if you're interested in a book, free book chapter, The Most Powerful You. That comes out in 2020, summer 2020. Thank you for having me. What fantastic questions. Probably I'll look, I'll listen again and go, wow, uh, you know, I should have said this. I should have said that. They were very deep, beautiful questions. Thank you for letting me think about them. Absolutely. Thank you. You, thank you, Kathy. You have, you are a force to be reckoned with. You have <laughs> amazing inspiration. Thank you. Quite beautifully. And I'm just so privileged to finally hear the voice behind those words. <laughs> thank you, my dear. I am very honored to be here and come, uh, I'll write you right now about come to my podcast. I can't wait to talk to you and pick your very formidable brain. I can't. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thanks everybody. I can ask.